Welcome back to another episode of The Eric Deem Show. I'm so glad you've tuned in. It truly is an honor to be able to tickle your ears with listener delight and pragmatic prowess. Hey, let me tell you why I started this thing. One, I really like to talk. But two, (laughs) I have some values that I really want to share. Things that to me seem pragmatic, common sense, those kinds of things. Stuff I grew up with in the Midwest. So the values that really drive this um, you know, it's, it's homegrown, right? Personal responsibility, this idea that cultural stewardship falls to each of us. Joy. You know, the holidays are here. We need to have joy beyond just the Christmas season. So finding the joy, celebrating it. And an appreciation, gratitude. Um, this idea that motivation can come from within, but you also need some help along the way. So that's... That's my goal here with the Eric Deem Show. We do our weekend review segment, The Deem's List, on Fridays. Please be sure to tune in. We had a great one this past week. and Well, I think they're all great because um, I get to talk. And uh, many of you are listening in, and thank you for that. We're hitting records as we continue to grow um, around the world. That's right. Um, thanks to all of you in the U.S., but um, Brazil, Canada, Europe, I mean, you all are, are taken off, and so I appreciate it. Hello to my friends in France. Uh, Moldova continues to lead the way over uh, in the Eastern Europe area. So I'm having fun, and I appreciate you all tuning in. So this week on the Eric Deem Show, you know, I have a couple of um, articles here that I want to share that have been shared with me, either from friends or just, you know, me searching and, and seeing what I can come up with. Uh, Walter Williams, who passed away last week, great economist, um, one of the thought leaders of our time, um, especially coming from the black community and, um, and being over at George Mason University. Uh, just a great, not only a great man, but you start to read and, and hear what other people are saying about him, former students, um, and you're just saying, man, this is the kind of person we all want to emulate. And um, he wrote a piece last Monday called Black Education Then and Now. I want to dive into that a little bit because I think it's, it's very relevant. And little did he know that just a day later, uh, he would no longer be with us, at least in person. So um, as, as we heard over at the City Journal, hard-nosed economist, generous soul. Walter Williams. We're going to dive into that. Um, Also have a piece here from Christopher Rufo. Um, He's over at the Documentary Foundation. He has a piece out called The New Untouchables, how Seattle policymakers want to provide the city's underclass with blanket immunity for misdemeanor crime. Crazy that that's kind of where where things have devolved. Um, Byron Ween uh, of Blackstone fame, um, Back in 2013, put out um, a list of what's well, called Blackstone's Byron Wien discusses lessons learned in his first 80 years. So he's 87 years old now, and um, he's vice chair of Blackstone Advisory Partners, which is a, a subsidiary of the Blackstone Group, and was a leader, chief um, U.S. investment strategist over at Morgan Stanley for about 21 years. So the guy is well regarded as a, a thought leader in 
investing, portfolio management, and just the overall economy. He put together a list of things that he's learned over the years, only 20, and I want to go through those with you. So um, let's start there. So here's what uh, Byron went. I'm just going to read through the list. You can find this. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But uh, this is from this article. It says, here are some of the lessons I learned in my first 80 years of life. And I hope to continue to practice them in the next 80. One, concentrate on finding a big idea that will make an impact on the people you want to influence. That's huge. So you want to influence somebody? Find a big idea that will make an impact on them. Two, network intensely. Luck plays a big role in life, and there is no better way to increase your luck than by knowing as many people as possible. And boy, isn't that the truth, especially in a world where social media, especially LinkedIn in this case, is just so pervasive, it's pretty easy to connect with folks. And no, I'm not talking about those solicitors that keep reaching out and trying to get... I have a great tell on that, by the way. Are you tired of your LinkedIn people coming after you? So LinkedIn will only allow you to do your first and last name, so Eric Deems, but I insist on having the S, Eric S. Deems. The S stands for success, or Scott, if you look at my birth certificate. So what I do is I put in my first name, Eric space S, period. So when you look at my profile, it says Eric S. Deems, but um, the tell is anytime I'm being marketed by people, they have all these systems set up that just automatically send it out. And so anytime I see an email or a message that says, hey, Eric S., <laughs> I know to delete without reading. So I, um, I'm sure they're all tuning in now, so they're going to change their ways. But um, maybe something for you to do. Add that middle initial. It is a differentiator, after all. I think there are about three or four other Eric Deemses um, who can't claim the S. But um, Anyway, number three, back to Byron. Number three, when you meet someone new, treat that person as a friend. And that, I think, goes a long way, uh, especially for younger folks. Um, Don't see the person you're meeting as a foe. It's the political world. I remember, you know, going to summer camps in in D.C. and whatnot, and everybody is just immediately seeing you as a foe because they want to run for office someday and they think you're going to run against them or something. And you fast forward, you know, once you get out of that season of life, and then you get in the business, and people you meet, if you're competitors, they suddenly see you as uh, the enemy. No, you never know what the future's going to hold. And if you're networking and getting to know as many people as possible, who knows where this could go? Don't burn bridges, especially unnecessarily. So, four, read all the time and read actively. Don't just do it because you're curious about something. Five, Get enough sleep. He says seven hours will do until you're 60. Eight from 60 to 70, nine thereafter, and don't be afraid of the nap if that's what it takes, which I'm already napping, so maybe I should think about that. Six, evolve. Think of your life in phases so you can avoid burnout. Seven, travel extensively. Eight, which this one's big. When meeting someone new, Try to find out what formative experience occurred in their lives before they were 17. Wow. He goes on to say, It's my belief that some important event in someone's youth has an influence on everything that occurs afterward. 
And I think that's true, especially when you think of your dating history, right? <laughs> if you had known about the person's childhood, you probably could have avoided a whole lot of heartburn. Um, same thing applies in every other relationship in your life. Find out about their childhood, um, where they come from, what shaped them as a young person, because that's going to influence a lot later. And we all can, again, these are things that he's put together over 80 years. I think it's important to share. This guy's had a lot of success. Um, we all want to have success, whatever that looks like for you. So I, I'm, I'm really glad we got this. So thanks to Dave for sending it over. Number nine, on philanthropy, my approach is to relieve pain rather than spread joy. Wow. You know, it's said that we will pursue, as people, uh, when making the decision, we will avoid pain before we will pursue pleasure. And so I think it's critical to have this kind of mindset in philanthropy. Because a lot of times people, they say they're philanthropists and they're out doing good, but really they're just wanting to put a big exclamation mark behind their name to show how good they are and what good they can do. Well, what if instead you focused on just making other people's lives a little better? Noted. I'm going to skip through some of these. Um, Next, younger people are more naturally insecure and tend to overplay their accomplishments. Most people don't become comfortable with who they are until they're into their 40s. Uh, by that time, they can underplay their achievements and become nicer, more likable people. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I kind of hit on that already, but, uh, and I've been in several, you know, kind of networking groups, uh, junior chamber type things, um, and affinity groups and whatnot, and you know, I'm an old soul, so I naturally want to just know who you are as a person and, and all of that stuff. Um, but I also can come off too salesy in those conversations, so I've learned to really manage that. And people don't want my business card, right? You show up, oh, here's my business card. Let me do something with you. Let, let's do something together. Well, no, let's just talk about who you are as a person. And I really don't care what you've accomplished up to this point, especially if you're still in your 20s. And again, we've all been there. Um, I'm sure you've done some great things, but let's talk about who you are as a person, what drives you, ideas, less about you as a person and the ideas that we want to move forward together, right? So I think that's uh, something to think about, especially when you're mentoring and hiring young people. Don't be so hard on them. You know, understand that they're naturally insecure, and so they're overplaying their accomplishments out of insecurity. Give them a safer place to operate instead of ridiculing them for the overplaying of their strengths or accomplishments. Um, really practice diving deeper to know who they are as a person. I think that'll go a long way. Um, this is probably the most important one. The hard way is always the right way. Never take shortcuts except when driving home from the Hamptons. <laughs> and uh, in your career, shortcuts can be construed as sloppiness and uh, can derail you permanently. So I think all that's important. We're going to post a list of this up there. And um, the last one he put up, never retire. If you can work forever, you can live forever. And I think there's a lot to be said about purpose. Uh, whether that's a job or not, I, I think he's talking about making sure you always have a place to show up to and continue to give. Um, valuable. So that's uh, that's Byron Wayne, 87 years old now, back in 2013, put out a piece, Lessons Learned in His First 80 Years. So uh, 
always good to learn from people who are ahead of us, especially if they're uh, a few laps ahead of us. <clears throat> so Walter Williams, he uh, wrote this piece, and I'm going to read some of this because I think it's important for us to understand, especially if you came from public education like myself. I'm a product of public schools. I think public education is critical. It's a critical part of our infrastructure as a society and for growing as a people. So Walter Williams, Black Education Then and Now. Um, that's the piece. Uh, I got this from cnsnews.com where he's published. And here's what he says. He starts, he goes, several years ago, Project Baltimore began an investigation of Baltimore's school system. What they found was an utter disgrace. 19 of Baltimore's 39 high schools, so 19 of the 39, which had over 3,800 students, only 14 of those students were proficient in math. So less than 1% of these students in, in the, out of the 3,800, 14 of them, were proficient in math. And in 13 of Baltimore's high schools, not a single student scored proficient in math. In five Baltimore City high schools, not a single student scored proficient in math or reading. Despite these academic deficiencies, about 70% of the students would graduate and would be given a high school diploma, a fraudulent high school diploma in his words. Williams goes on to say the Detroit Public School Community District scored the lowest in the nation compared to 26 other urban districts for reading and math at the 4th and 8th grade levels. A recent video captures some of the miseducation in Milwaukee high schools. In two city high schools, only one student tested proficient in math and then a proficient English. Yet the school spent a full week learning about, quote, systemic racism and, quote, Black Lives Matter activism. By the way, a November 19, 2020 Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article asks, how many black teachers did you have? I only had two, end quote. The article concludes, for future black students, that number needs to go up, end quote. New York City is one of many school systems in the United States set to roll out Black Lives Matter themed lessons plans. According to the NYC Department of Education, teachers will delve into, quote, systemic racism, police brutality, and white privilege in their classrooms. Isn't this interesting? So Williams goes on, he, he talks about this, but he's, he's not just hitting on Baltimore, he's hitting on a lot of these urban environments, these major school districts, billion-dollar budgets, and uh, the failures they're having at actually teaching, but then the activism that we're seeing. He goes on, should we blame this education tragedy on racial discrimination or claim that it is a legacy of slavery? Dr. Thomas Sowell's research on, or research in, education assumptions versus history documents academic excellence at Baltimore's Frederick Douglass High School and others. This academic excellence occurred during the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, an era when blacks were much poorer than today and faced gross racial discrimination. Frederick Douglass High School of yesteryear produced many distinguished alumni, such as Thurgood Marshall and Cab Calloway, and several judges, congressmen, and civil rights leaders. Frederick Douglass High School was second in the nation in black PhDs among its alumni. So what happened? That's the question I'm asking you. What happened? That's the question Williams is asking his readers. What happened? In closing, 
He goes on to say, if we accept the notion that rotten education is not preordained, then I wonder when the black community will demand an end to an educational environment that condemns so many youngsters to mediocrity. And my favorite quote of this article, you can bet the rent money that white liberals and high-income blacks would not begin to accept the kind of education for their children that most blacks receive. So true. The school climate, seldom discussed, plays a very important role in education. During the 2017-18 to school year, there were an estimated 962,300 violent incidents and 476,100 nonviolent incidents in U.S. public schools nationwide. Schools with 1,000 or more students had at least one sworn law enforcement officer, and about 90% of those law enforcement officers carry firearms. Aside from violence, there are many instances of outright disrespect for teachers. First and second graders telling teachers to shut the F up, end quote, and calling teachers B-I-T-C-H. And he wraps by saying, years ago, much of the behavior of young people that we see today would have never been tolerated. There was the vice principal's office where corporal punishment would be administered for gross infractions. If the kid was unwise enough to tell his parents what happened, he might get more punishment at home. Today, unfortunately, we have replaced practices that worked with practices that sound good and caring. And we are witnessing the results. That's Walter Williams. We need his voice now more than ever before, so I hope you will continue to read his works and go back and study him. As I said on Friday, um, I didn't know much about Walter Williams other than him, to, him being an economist, and I never really dove much into his works, but got to hear him on the radio occasionally. And uh, wow, what a thought leader and a pragmatic voice, especially in the black community and in a time where this wokeism keeps trying to take over and um, reset history. Uh, education is important. Public education is important, especially in our urban cores. And I think he's onto a lot here that we need to listen. So uh, rest in peace, Walter Williams. And our final, final piece here that I just want to touch on, no pun intended, the, the new untouchables. Seattle policymakers want to provide the city's underclass with a blanket immunity for misdemeanor crime. In October, the Seattle City Council floated legislation to provide an exemption from prosecution for misdemeanor crimes for any citizen who suffered from poverty, homelessness, addiction, or mental illness. Can you believe this? Now listen, we are not saying that people don't need help. And there are a lot of issues around poverty, homelessness, addiction, mental health that needs to be addressed uh, at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level, and we need to get some real resources here behind this. I've always said, just like I'm an advocate for public education um, and the ability for people to choose so that they can have the best education, not only for their community, but for their own children. Um, the same thing applies here. Th these are the people among us. The social safety nets exist, but have they been polluted? It's interesting that under these, this proposed ordinance, courts would have to dismiss all so-called crimes of property. And according to the city's former public safety advisor, that would cover more than 90% of the misdemeanors 
citywide. Now, how many folks are going to now try to leverage this? Remember, Seattle is where the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots were occurring, one of the places. So how many of these folks are going to say, well, we're a product of X, Y, or Z, whatever's covered, so that they can't be criminally prosecuted? Personal responsibility matters. Regardless, there's always a consequence. I once had somebody say to me, explain to me, of this idea that um, regardless of whether the person um, knew or didn't know what they were doing um, or, or was completely aware, there are still consequences, right? So if somebody hits a baseball, this was the analogy that was used uh, from a priest years ago to me. Um, if, if somebody hits a baseball and it goes further than they expected or further than they realized they could hit it, and it knocks out a window in the neighboring property, even if that neighboring property owner forgives, somebody still has to fix that window. There's still a consequence. There's still something that has occurred. So who is now going to take care of all of these crimes that are being committed? Again, there's a whole lot we can go into on the individuals, but the crime is still being committed. What about the people that they're being committed against? Who's going to cover that? Is that going to fall to the rest of society? Especially when you're talking about 90%. So check out Christopher Rufo. He is, uh, he is quite, the, quite the leader here. He, he put out several things. I first heard about Christopher Rufo um, when I watched the America Lost documentary. And that documentary explores um, three cities in America. Youngstown, Ohio, not far from where I am in Belpre. Memphis, Tennessee, Stockton, California. These three great cities that have fallen. And why did they fall? And what's happened? So he's very good. Uh, ChristopherRufo.com. That's Christopher, R-U-F-O.com. is a way to follow his work. But it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And what are we doing here? New Untouchables? Is this how the woke society is going to uh, keep people accountable? Just oh, consequences don't matter. You get to be a victim too. Again, there are people that are struggling, and what are we doing? We're just minimizing the real struggles by telling everybody if you claim a struggle, you're not going to get prosecuted. So that's all we have here, all the time we have here for the Eric Deem Show. Um, I appreciate you tuning in. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, Blackstone's Byron Ween. Be sure to share that. It's in the show notes. Look at it, all 20 of them. I think you're going to find a lot of fruit there that's applicable And rest in peace, Walter Williams. Your legacy will continue to live on, especially here at the Eric Deem Show. And be sure to check out Christopher Rufo. He's got some pretty neat stuff out there, ChristopherRufo.com. And as always, you can reach me, EricDeemShow.com. My email, Chief at EricDeemShow.com. And on the socials, at EricDeemShow.com.